Hello listeners, this is once again Hunter DMC, and you're listening to my brand new segment on the Mysteries Unknown podcast, Behind the Mist. And I'm starting this very first episode of this segment with a very special guest that I am a huge fan of. He is a member of the Odd Loot crew, the Masters of Ceremonies for Rolling in the Mist podcast, and a video producer that works with Son of Oak Studios. I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary pals, Kevin Kaiju Carpenter. Thank you so much for having me. So, the reason, so I just want to get started because you've done all this work with Son of Oak Studios. You like were like one of the very first City of Mist podcasts I ever got to listen to. So I figured this would be the best question to ask someone like you. What is City of Mist if you were to explain it to someone that never played it before and never heard of it? So City of Mist is a uh, cinematic role-playing game where you're in a misty city of noir mysteries and you have to figure out, you know, who done it, who committed the murder and all that. But also your character is uh, bringing on the powers of some sort of myth. And the thing is, is that in the City of Mist, almost anyone can be a rift, someone who is channeling those powers. So the old lady that you're sitting next to at the bus stop could secretly be channeling the powers of Thor. Or you go down an alleyway and suddenly you end up in an enchanted forest. Just weird stuff like that is all over the city. And so not only are you trying to figure out you know, the mystery of the case you're working on, but your character is also figuring out their own personal mystery of where are these powers coming from? Who are they in relation to those powers? And in that, you know, like true, like superhero, like Spider-Man fashion, what is the balance between their regular lives and their magical superpowered lives? It, it's really interesting. It uses uh, a bit of the powered by the apocalypse framework with a bit of like fate thrown in there in terms of like tags and statuses, allowing you to just like mess with the narrative however you want there's like really wide character creation so you can like i have seen so many different character concepts created with city of mist from someone with just like standard nature powers to someone who was uh, channeling the mythos of moby dick and fought people with like a magical anchor that they just carried around with them there's just so many possibilities in the city of mist and it's one of the reasons why i love the game so much and that kind of ties it a little bit to the, this next question. What exactly got you involved in City of Mist? What sparked your interest in this is something that I want to do, which eventually led to you now. If you go to City of Mist YouTube channel, there's you on their screen talking about all the different aspects of how you can play different parts and even the shorts of creating just new characters based off like just common mythos or common characters from video games and all that. So I think that's sort of like two separate stories there, how I got into City of Mist and also how I got into making videos for Son of Oak and City of Mist. Um, both of them are pretty fun stories. But the first thing, how I got into the game and how I discovered it, uh, this is an old sentence now, but I was on uh, a Google Plus group of all things. Yes. And... Uh, specifically, oh. I was looking into how to create a uh, a tabletop RPG based off Persona, the the Japanese video game where like you summon uh, spirits based off mythology, and you have to balance between like your high school life and your paranormal life. And as I was, you know, like talking in these groups trying to figure out how to make this game, someone was like, "Hey, you should try out City of Mist. Like that has all of those elements." And that's how I got into 
well, I started looking into the game, and that was around the time the uh, like the Knights of Pain Town module was coming out, Shadows and Showdowns was coming out, and as I was looking into it, I kind of ditched the idea of making a Persona RPG and just start playing City of Mist. Yeah, I was about to ask if this was like about the time like it had just started kickstarting, if it had already been like fully funded, was coming out when you had gotten into this, because I know for me was it had already been out for quite a little bit. And like during the time I was getting into it was also when Shouts of Showdowns like got finalized and released. So I was just curious about the timeline wise on that too for you as well. Yeah, I think it was after the Kickstarters, but before they were fully released. Like I think about the time I started really digging into City of Mist, uh, Son of Oak was releasing like the bits and parts of Knights in Pain Town and Shouts and Showdowns, and you can still. Uh, I think find those like select chapters on drive through RPG. If you just wanted to pick up like the gatekeeper chapter from Salvage and showdowns, or like you can buy like a single case from Knights of pain town. Um, but I think it was like right before those started getting releasing, those started getting released as full books. That was when I started digging into it. And so I played city of mist off and on. And eventually uh, my group odd loot we were like, we really want to play, well, we really want to produce an actual play, like a podcast. We want to do a tabletop RPG, but we didn't want to do another Dungeon Dragons podcast because, you know, there were so many of them. Uh, and when we found City of Mist, and specifically because it's so narrative focused, we were like, hey, there's a lot of like great stories we can do with this. There's a lot of possibilities for us to do like comedy with this. So we started Rolling in the Mist. And so back, you know, season one of Rolling in the Mist is audio only. We didn't do video back then. And then when we got into season two, that's when we started doing uh, video cameras. And by the way, for all you listeners who haven't listened to Rolling in the Mist, you can start on season one or season two. They're two separate stories. If you want to start the podcast with, uh, with seeing our faces, feel free to start on season two. But anyway, uh, quick plug in there. <laughs> Perfectly fine. And you could also, if you love the show, they have a Patreon that you can go support them on as well. So, and it <laughs> allows you to act well when they were releasing episodes, allowed you to access them a day early, which I greatly enjoyed. So, when I was a Patreon, <laughs> well, really glad to hear that. Yeah, we're currently on hiatus with season, uh, with season two. There's some scheduling issues that we're dealing with, but once we're actually able to get together in the same room again, we're going to be, you know, trying to fast track release, you know, the rest of the episodes for season two. The but real the tr- bad guy of TTRPGs, scheduling conflicts. Right. <laughs> so between season one and season two of Rolling a Mist, actually it might've been while we were still producing season one, uh, the creator of City of Mist, uh, Meet Mache, he contacted me and said, hey, we're actually wanting to do like videos for City of Mist, you know, articles and maybe some social media posts. And he was wondering if I had time to do it. And so that, uh, that's how I signed up as a like freelance video producer for Son of Oak Game Studio. And since then, I've been creating videos for them and just kind of like really delving deep into all the different parts of City of Mist from the mechanics to the lore. And it's been a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, I especially liked watching like your little shorts about the character creation, like because it was your Chainsaw Man short that made me start look, watching the Chainsaw Man anime because I knew mm-hmm. that was coming out, and that's really good. And then I already did a, I made a gatekeeper character myself that uses the Leviathan axe from the God of War game already, so that was cool to kind of see you play on that too. And I'm like, that was really nice to see. 
you've been how long exactly have you been doing this for son of oak studios the rolling in the mist how long would you say you've been doing this for about now uh let's see i believe i started making videos for son of oak game studio around uh late january to early february 2021 so about two years now um off and on you know with uh like certain like kickstarter campaigns and all that but uh yeah around two years now i've been working with son of oak yeah i know you were also how much involved were you of involved were you in the other scape uh that whole project because i know you were part of those videos as well when it was like everyone was talking about like right as a kickstarter started you were in a couple of those videos were you a part of that in any sort of way just out of curiosity or oh yeah uh so with tokyo otherscape not only was i also doing like the videos for them and you can find that on the city of mist youtube channel i did a few like lore delves a few like kickstarter updates i think i did yeah i did a, a tokyo otherscape in action where we actually showed off like how you would play the game with like the animations of like tokens on a board which is mm-hmm. really fun to make but with Otherscape, I created the videos for them. I did some uh, social media work with the Kickstarter. And also, I have a written adventure in the upcoming Tokyo Otherscape book. And I did uh, a bit of work with the mechanics, specifically with a lot of the uh, stat blocks and danger profiles coming out in the Metro and Tokyo Otherscape books. I can't go into too many details other than that. But yes, I am actually writing for those products as well. That's really cool to hear, and I'm interested to see your actual sections that are part of in that book as well, because I also, for those who aren't as aware with the City Mist Garage that we also have as well, you actually have a case in that, the King of the Ring case. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I bought that, and I plan to run that myself, and I'm looking through it. It's really good, because you got like... You got like the Rift of the Monkey King in there and then a couple other cool ideas. Basically, it's just all like underground kind of fighting style type stuff going on, which is really cool. And I got some people that I know would be really interested in playing it. So just looking at that alone, I'm really interested to see what Otherscape is going to bring to us when it finally gets released. I mean, I'm really glad you like King of the Ring. Like, I, you know, I love the City of Mist Garage program. I will live and die on the idea that tabletop RPGs, well, live and die on the strength of their communities. So, you know, the fact that there's a portal for people to create City of Mist content and sell it and all that is phenomenal. With King of the Ring, I that was actually a case that I created myself for some, like, RPG mixers out here in L.A. Uh, that I would, like, play City of Mist and get people into the game over here. But specifically, I wanted to create a case that you could play in like a single session. I love the City of Mist cases, but it's kind of hard to get them down into like a single one shot. You usually have to do like two to like five, depending on how like in depth the characters go with like the investigation. But King of the Ring, I really wanted to write like, okay, here's the start, here's the investigation, here's the climax, you know, three to four hours, you're good to go. So let's take a second. Let's move away from City of Mist and let's learn about the man, Kevin Carpenter himself. <laughs> Give Kate just kind of really quick, kind of if you can, short and sweet. Like, what's your TTRPG like history? Oh, all right. So, TTRPG history. So, back in uh, high school, I, you know, I was seeing like Dungeon Dragons videos online. I really wanted to get into the tabletop RPG space, but that was around like, when D&D was, like, transitioning from, like, 3.5 to, like, 4 or 4 to 5. It, it was, there was a lot of weird stuff going on with the game at that time. It was, I didn't really know how to get into it. So I actually got into uh, another game, uh, Gamma World 7th Edition. It 
basically this Looney Tunes post-apocalypse world that used a lot of like the like fourth edition Dungeon Dragons framework. And I got into that with my high school friends and they loved it. And I really love like, you know, like tabletop role playing in general. That's like before I even played in a tabletop RPG, I was GMing mm-hmm. a, a tabletop RPG. And so from there, you know, we went from like Gamma World, uh, the Doctor Who RPG, the Dragon Age RPG. We got into the like D&D Next play test and started playing Dungeons and Dragons from there. When I uh, went to college, I got my friends into like a big like Dungeon Dragons group. You know, we played like the big modules, Curse of Strahd. And uh, since then, I've just been a forever GM for, you know, a lot of different RPGs. I actually, at time of this recording, a couple days ago, I recently broke my forever G- MC streak. I got to play a, a part of my first ever City of Mist, like a little one shot. And it was really fun, but it's also kind of that mindset of having to transition because I'm now thinking three steps ahead of everyone, and the MC's trying to rail me back in, like, you got to let everyone else have a turn, bro, kind of deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but then I, I also did a one-shot where I've had another uh, GM be a part of it, and he was kind of like the same thing, too. Especially when it came to the arguing of the tags, they know how to make good arguments for the tags. So I'm like, I can't dispute it. So that was just funny. Mm-hmm. All right. So how? Oh, go for it. No, I was going to ask really quick since we were talking about our TTRPGs. What got how? What led to the point that you became a member of the Odd Loot Crew? So that's actually a funny story. When I uh, first came out to Los Angeles, it was actually part of a, a program with my college, Indiana University of Bloomington. They had a like you know spend a semester in Los Angeles, get an internship, take some classes kind of program. We were kind of the guinea pig class because it was like just starting. And one of my assignments was to make a short film. And so, you know, we, you know, we learned how to use uh, Breakdown Express and get like local actors. And uh, that was when I met Ryan Bravo. He was an actor who signed up for our student short film. And so while we were shooting that film, we got the talking. Uh, we talked about how we both love like the Adventure Zone, the, the McElroy Dungeon Dragons podcast. And yeah, I was like, man, it'd be really cool to do that. And he's like, yeah, it'd be also re- be really cool to do that. And then we were just like, hey, let's do that. And so uh, after that short film, uh, me and Bravo struck up a friendship. We joined together with Odd Loot, and it was just kind of creating Rolling in the Mist from there. All right. And kind of also on topic of Rolling in the Mist as well, I like to ask MCs this every now and then, especially a couple I've had on here recently. Um, how much, because another thing that I really begin to is the world building aspect when it comes to tabletop gaming, building the world for the players to create in. Especially with collaborative role playing, sometimes the players are also help building the world as well. So, how much, like percentage wise, how much would you say the majority of the game was like what you built compared to like maybe how much the players contributed to it? Hmm. I think with City of Mist, you definitely don't have to do too much world building because a large part of the conceit is that you're in a world that is like ours, but then something strange happens. So you don't have to go into like how the city was founded or how roads and cars work because you're coming into that already with that knowledge. Really, the world building that you're doing is just like, hey, here's this one person who has this power and this is why they do what they do. Or here's this group of people that have like this motivation and they hide out in the back room of a club that if you go through a door turns into a jungle. 
it's like those little bits of like, here's the regular city. Now here's where it gets strange. That's like where you kind of have to hit the world building with City of Mist. And so with Rolling in the Mist, a lot of times that just became like, okay, your, your character's a detective, your character's a, a doctor, and then this patient comes into the hospital, but they're a zombie. What do you do? And then you have a uh, hoardy, you have kind of a hoardy toady, uh, prim and proper lady who just walks up to you, and be like, "Hi, we're with the crime family." Yeah. <laughs> See, season season two, there was definitely like, there was a document I had to write up of like how this crime family works. Since uh, part part of that conceit was that there's like you know the the Olympian gods are running a lot of these parts. So I'm like, okay, so. You know, of course, the Rift of Poseidon is working, you know, smuggling at the docks with, uh, you know, the Smugglers Union, not Smugglers Union, the Dock Workers Union. Uh, and of course, like the Rift of Dionysus is working on the drug trade, like that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, that's really where you have to get into the most world building is when you have like an organization in uh, City of Mist. Uh, the amount of quotes from that show that I would love to put on like a coffee mug or a T-shirt. I just... Hmm. So many. Like I was when I talked to Ryan Bravo like a few months back, I like we were just talking about like rolling in the mist. I was just saying so many different quotes that I loved about it. I think I still my all time favorite one is still the casino heist towards the end. Uh Dr. Castello and Eugene Fritz wind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that that was I, I think we had to like pause because all of us were just like laughing so hard at that. Yeah, and then you chopped it up with uh, Samuel Payne bursting through the front doors of the casino. It's like it's like just adding on more to such a already splendid moment, just making it more ridiculous in such a hilarious way. So that's the fun of tabletop, you know, RPGs. Like you get the right group together, and you know the the players will just do whatever insane stuff comes to mind with them great it's like i was i was literally trying to make a think of a list of questions last minute and now i'm just i'm finding like i had the main ones but now i'm trying to think like what else would everyone like to know about the man kevin carpenter himself because you've done so much i think already just for city and mist and the community around it alone because if it wasn't for you guys um you guys follow me on my music page which i think was how i was able to discover you while rolling the mist which got me into city and mist that got me into running games because no one else was running on the server at the time. And then yeah. I was inspired by Brennan Lee Mulligan, listening to him do the Calamity uh, episodes on Critical Role. That's what finally made me realize I want to do this and have people be able to listen to it because I would, I don't think I'm as good of him, but I feel like my MC style, when it comes to like how detailed I want to be and how descriptive I am with what's going on in the game, I definitely lean towards more that way. And I'm definitely like free spirited as well because what I'm currently doing right now is I'm running one shots for D and D players of City of Mist. So these there's these are guys that have never played anything outside D and D before, and I'm throwing them into this world, and they're just being all chaotic and having such a blast with it. So it's been really fun with that. Yeah, how would I you? Mean, oh, sorry, go for it. I was gonna say, how would you describe like your MC style? If you were to like put it down, give it like a term or anything, how would you describe it? Oh man, I mean, there's not a lot of great like descriptors for DMing styles, especially when you know you're like DMing just like a ton of different like stories and worlds. 
you know, you, you can't really give like a term for DMing style that you could for like a genre of a story, like, you know, an action DM or a mystery DM. Um, I'd say my GMing style is I, I definitely try to like create a story, you know, I, um, Hmm. Here's how I describe it. So when I was a kid, my brother and I would play with action figures all the time. We had all these like different, you know, Marvel and DC superheroes and villains. And when we were playing, I would almost always play the villains. So my brother would get to play Superman and Goku, and then I would, you know, hold up the Magneto action figure and be like, "Ha ha! You can't stop me!" And that was like almost all like what we played. And so that kind of transferred to me doing tabletop RPGs where, you know, I love playing the villain. I love, you know, both while playing the villain and also as a GM being like, oh, ho, ho, how will you guys get out of this? And it's creating that story, creating that world for the players to explore, but also trying to create those moments for the players to shine. Because, you know, at the end of the day, as a GM, I can win at any time. You know, rocks fall, everyone dies. But it's really great to create that moment where, like, the villain almost has the whole party down and everything comes down to one roll and then they make it and the villain is slain. Everyone's like, yes! I, <laughs> like, I, I played with GMs who are a lot more, like, fun over rules where everything's very, like, comedic and a joke. And, you know, I do appreciate, like, you know, the jokes, but I definitely do try to, at the end of the day, create, like, a narrative where the the players not only like had fun and had that space for like jokes, but also had that space for like serious character moments and development. And, you know, a a moment where everyone, the table is like silent being like, Oh, this, this, the sun's going down now. Yeah. And, uh, I always like this. My thing I like to say when it comes to my games is if I, if you guys aren't having any fun at all with this game I'm running, then I'm not having fun either. And mm-hmm. I want us to be able to both be able to enjoy this story that I built. And I don't want to, I don't want to be the only one having fun. If you guys aren't having it, it's meaningless at that point in my eyes. And so I'm okay with a good derailing every now and then, if I know that I can bring it back at some point, which is why I'm, which is why I'm kind of used to chaotic players and why I myself, I don't do too much prep. Like I always say, I have how I'm going to start out the story. I have the idea for the ending, but everything else that kind of happens in between is basically all up to the dice and the players with what they decide to do. As long as it gets to that ending point one way or another, however the players want to play, I can usually work with for the most part. So that's always been my thing. Usually, I I believe how you're supposed to do it. You know, you do want an ending in mind, and you also want, like, a strong beginning, and then you want to leave the area in the middle open, like, not like an open field, but more of, like, a flow chart of, like, they can go this way or this way or this way or this way. Because one of the, the great balancing acts with GMing, in my opinion, is that, like, when players come to the table, they don't want to be railroaded, they don't want to feel like their choices don't matter. But they also still want that climactic encounter at the end. They still want the boss fight. They still want the satisfying ending. They, you know, they, they don't want to be on a single track, but it'd be nice if there was like three or four tracks that then like come down to the same area and then you do the slideshow at the end showing that you know, like their choices like mattered there. But 
at the end of the day, you still need them to come into the boss room to fight the big boss, and the boss does their monologue, and the players go, not today, and then, you know, like, fight them, or, un you know, unveil their plan, or seal them in the portal, depending on what game you're playing. Yeah, and so your, uh, your talk about DC and Marvel action figures earlier made me think of this. What? How about we talk about our, fam our favorite homeless fuck? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to know, was he was he something you planned, or was that something you had to come up on the fly? Because I don't think anyone was expecting Eugene to actually follow the Ravens when that episode happened. It just He just kind of decided, like, this is what he would do. So he followed the Ravens, while the other two players were like, fuck those Ravens. God. So, yeah, Otis is a character that is near and dear to my heart, definitely. And his his sort of creation is... Uh, on a large part, uh, part of the players as well as me, you know, the the whole thing with the Ravens came down to like you know the creation of the crew theme back in session zero of season one, where you know one of the tags was like, oh, we also want like Ravens of knowledge. So if we need to figure something out, we can just talk to the Ravens. And it came out of nowhere, and it was pretty funny. We kept it in the crew theme, but uh, Bravo Jason never used it. So then it became a running gag of these Ravens trying to get their attention. It's like, hey, we're here, and then they just kept ignoring them. I think and you so had a bit. I, I was going to say real quick, I think you had a bit where they actually, you made a canon where the birds like shitted out a message to the players to try to get their attention. I think that was either a yeah. bit or something y'all did. I, there was there was definitely, they were trying to get their attention involved with shit. I don't know if I made the shit spell out words, but there was definitely a point where it's like, hey, they are trying to get your attention. And both Jason and Bravo were like, and we're going to ignore it. And it's like, <laughs> okay, all right, you whatever and then you know pablo's character eugene actually noticed them and followed them i'm like oh okay i actually get to use these guys now great and what's amazing is that you know otis this homeless man on top of a roof who can see through the eyes of uh, crows and ravens because he's the rift of odin um he was originally supposed to be a like a serious character like off-putting cryptic giving these messages that the crew could take or leave but when 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 pablo's character eugene was kind of doing this like back and forth with him and it's just like well hang on hang on how your powers work like this well hold, hold on hold on that, that that doesn't make any sense like the, like there it became this like comedic back and forth that then kind of shifted. i'm sorry do you have turned to bird powers yeah, exactly. Like, like Otis being like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I could just see through the eyes of any bird in the city, but I guess that's not good enough for you. It, it was um, like, in that moment, Otis turned from like, you know, uh, I have a secret message for you to, be, uh, to being like, okay, I'm the bird guy, I probably shouldn't be here, but, you know, let's, let's just figure this out. The amount of times I have messaged you with, I, whenever I listen to a podcast, and there's just something that made me immediately sit, quote, Otis, right off the bat, like, listening to the Wandering Gamer Society when they were doing their city miss, and they had a woman that could turn to birds, and it, I just said out loud, oh, I'm sorry, do you have turned to bird powers? Just to myself, not to anyone. It's just mm -hmm. moments like that, and that was the Eugene and Otis episode. That was by far one of my favorite moments in season one. On top of just Samuel Payne all around was one of my favorite characters. Just this idea of a guy that just doesn't give a shit about what's going on, and he's only in for the money overall. So that was mm -hmm. really good. Um, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word I want to use for it. It's kind of just kind of a good difference of character between 
these the other two that were like, oh, we're here for the city. And here's like, and here's Samuel Payne. I just want my money. That's all I want. <laughs> J- I mean, Samuel Payne is all Jason. Like, Jason came up with the idea, played Samuel Payne beautifully. And he, he even specifically said, like, okay, uh, my detective character was very focused on, like, the job and, like, wanting to, like, solve mysteries for the good, even with his personal flaws. Now I want to play a character who's a dirtbag. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I know he's got a whole thing, but I think it's actually interesting. The reason that Samuel Payne came around, is that something that's okay to talk about? Uh, sh- I, I, if, can we give like a spoiler warning here? Spoiler warning for nah, the to it, season yeah. one, if you haven't listened to it. Well, I wasn't going to... Gonna- I wasn't going to say what, like, I wasn't going to do this, but I know at one point Jason was, because he also says in one of your episodes towards the end, too, he said he wasn't having as much fun with Arthur Strange as he was having, mm-hmm. and so he wanted to kind of switch it up a little bit, and you basically, like, you gave him a way out, is how I'm going to say it, without spoiling much of anything, and he got that way out and brought in Samuel Payne, but then we see Arthur Strange come back because it was, yeah, there was a lot to Arthur Strange that was still kind of left unsaid that needed to be kind of resolved. Yeah. So, so that was kind of a cool. It was a nice change, and then a nice way to bring it back. So I thought that was really cool. That, and sometimes that just happens with players. Sometimes, and I think as an MC, that's something I'm really like. Like I, like I said, if he's not having, if you're not having fun with it, I can't have as much fun with it either. So I'm willing just to work with you as long as it makes sense to the story and the narrative. Oh yeah. And I, we had those talks with uh, Jason as well, especially when he was like, hey, I'm getting a little, you know, uh, bored of Arthur Strange. I kind of want to do something else. I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, we're still doing a podcast with, like, a story that we, like, send out to an audience. But, you know, you may get that opportunity. Let's see how the dice roll. And then that opportunity came. And, you know, we switched over to Samuel Payne. But as we, like you said, as we were doing those episodes with Samuel Payne, you know, we kind of realized that, like, Arthur Strange, you know, still had a bit more of his story. We could have done the rest of season one without Arthur Strange returning. But I, I think with just how Arthur Strange wa- was and, like, the themes of his character and also the themes of the greater campaign, it was like, it would be better if we, you know, like, bring him back here for the finale. Um but yeah, I mean, in regular role-playing games, too, I have to deal with that with, like, players, you know, not wanting to play this specific character anymore and wanting to switch out to another character, which, you know, is fine. I'm willing to accommodate. That does change a lot of my plans because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of forming this story around characters. So if this character just disappears, I have to, you know, kind of change around some of, like, the themes and the events coming up. But yeah, I'm not, I'm also not going to like handcuff you to a chair and be like, no, you're playing with this character sheet until we're done. Yeah. But ghost Arthur strange or detective ghostly gumshoe as well. The characters was referring to him as in the game mm-hmm. was, uh, that was interesting because it got to the bit where it's like, I thought you were dead. I am dead just over and over again. And it was just one of those funny things where, and then I think it was also uh big Mike, the mechanic that was like, uh, you have a problem there. Your feet are touching the ground. I have a lot of problems. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, uh, once again, that's that's Jason just being just a, a phenomenal like character actor there. Yeah, J- Jason actually didn't play a whole lot of tabletop RPGs before we did Rolling in the Mist, so he like he he, he really like jumped into it and had a lot of fun with it. He's he still sends me texts where it's like, "Hey, I have a new character idea. Hey, I have a new character idea," and it's like, "Okay, cool, yeah, great." <laughs> yeah, and I I think we should also give uh. Chris, the editor, a shout out too, because these episodes would not be possible without his contributions to 
how all your guys, the music and how all your guys' shows sound. So he plays just as much of his part of a role. And we give him so much crap. Like that, that one episode where uh, Pablo was like, hi, I'm Chris Rangel and I'm a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, a, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, there's, there was differing uh, relationships before Odd Loot was formed and uh, definitely like Jason and Bravo uh, knew like Chris before like I came into the scene. So they already had that like dynamic going, but you know, Chris does a lot of work like behind the scenes, rolling the mist. He helps out with the audio. I was the one sort of doing like the, the main like edits of like, you know, cutting out stuff and putting in the music and all that. Um, but Chris uh, definitely does a lot of work like during the session, like uh, working on the levels on the switchboard and also afterward doing a lot of like the uh, passes on like the raw audio. He, he, you know, he, he does a lot for Rolling in Miss as much uh, shit as we give him, although we do also give shit to each other as well almost well, all the time. Yeah. And it is not easy as someone who I do all the recording and all the editing for my Mysteries Unknown podcast alone. And it is hard. And I've actually... Mm-hmm. I got to a point where, like, I was trying to, like, edit every minute thing on my episodes, and I had to realize, like, okay, what's more important to be edited? What can be left in that doesn't affect it too much and all that? Like, if there's just, like, a long period of silence, yeah, shorten that. But if just, like, just a couple seconds of silence that happen, and there's someone saying something in between that, that doesn't necessarily have to be edited out. It was just kind of the perfectionist in me wanting to make it sound and look good on the screen, but it's like, as long as it sounds good, it doesn't matter how it looks on the screen. It can look like a jumbled mess on the screen and sound flawless mm-hmm. for the most part. So I've definitely, myself, have gotten a lot more relaxed, and I just kind of do, like, bare bones. I don't do... I'm nowhere near the master that Chris is probably at, but I do just enough to where I hope it sounds enough. I've had someone give me a couple suggestions, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize it sounded like that. I'll make sure to do that because this mm-hmm. is I'm I'm only like a year into this still mm-hmm. and I'm also trying to not do as much because I thought I would be able to like take all this on as soon as I started and it completely backfired on me so I have to learn to just kind of take it easy be a little slow on it not rush and not rush anything because I prefer quality over quantity I'd rather have several really good episodes than a bunch of just messy sounding ones yeah and I think that's, you know, that's how you get, like, the true, you know, expertise is that experience, just kind of, like, jumping in and figuring out what to do. Because not only do you figure out what you can do and figure out new things that you can do and sort of hone your technique, but also you realize when you're biting off more than you can chew. And I certainly think that with, like, future series with Odd Loot, we're definitely going to be doing, like, shorter seasons, especially since we, like, really hit the wall on, like scheduling issues and like you know you know season one we had around like 30 episodes or something like that Uh, i'd have to double check how many we actually released but uh yeah definitely like a shorter more condensed story that you know accommodates people's schedules but also you know you really have to like work on getting the uh, the beats that you want to hit in the story in like a more concise manner, I feel like makes a, a, a better product than just like kind of freewheeling and, you know, releasing, uh, you know, like hundreds of episodes. Yeah. So we're going to switch over to a little section that I'm going to call the hot seat. Okay. And I'm calling this because this is the, the OGL drama going on with Watsi and Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you kind of so I've been able to ask people, especially since I've never played Dungeons and Dragons, I'm seeing this all from like an outside perspective. I've done my little research. I'm seeing everyone's talking about it. What are your thoughts 
about this whole thing. So the OGL fiasco, uh, part of it is, you know, understanding that Wizards of the Coast is a company that's owned by the, you know, corporation Hasbro. So once you get into large corporations, there's going to be a disconnect between the people making the product and, you know, the executives who are selling the product. It, it's just natural when you have so many people between, you know, those people and those people. The issue is, though, is that with the original, like, OGL announcement, there was so much stuff that was, you know, in my opinion, just naked greed. You know, we're going to deauthorize the original OGL that for, you know, a decade said was, you know, irrevocable or, you know, whatever the actual technical language was, but under that understanding that this is not going to get messed with. And then immediately going with, we're revoking it, the new one can be changed in 30 days notice, which, you know, and if you make this much money off it, then we get a huge cut of it. It's very much trying to create a walled garden, a monopoly. It's it's similar to, uh, like, big video game companies trying to, like, ban selling used games or taking like a cut of the profits from selling used games because they see their product being used without them getting any money from it. Not understanding that, you know, that community is what drives the interest in your product in the first place. And then when they release the apology where it's like, hey, we're, you know, taking a few steps back here, but some people might say that they won and we lost, but we we oh. both won here. That was so cringe. I'm sorry, but that first apology released, I was like, because I was listening, so I didn't read the whole thing, but I was listening to people who were like reading it through and giving their kind of reactions to it, and it was about the same, just how cringe it felt, just kind of half-hearted, I guess would be the word I would say. But, and I'm taking everything kind of with a grain of salt, because like I said, I'm not internally part of Dungeons & Dragons, that part of the community, but... When I started my podcast, I somehow got thrown over to that side. So a lot of people I interact with are Dungeons and Dragons players and podcasters. So I've been seeing like what they've been saying, asking them questions and stuff because I'm trying to keep myself informed, but I also don't want to be like completely dumb. But I have been seeing things that's making me like, yeah, I'm taking everything Watsi says with a grain of salt at this point, kind of deal. So, mm. yeah thing with that is there's just a lot of lies there's a lot of lies especially coming from wizards of the coast slash hasbro you know uh there was a lot of uh, third-party publishers who said like hey when this ogl was like leaked we also got a copy of this with contracts and you don't send out a draft of something and also expect someone to sign a legal document based off that document. So when Wizards of the Coast is like, oh, this was just a draft. We were going to, you know, open it to feedback. There was, you know, this, this, this isn't what we were trying to do. It's like, no, not only was this what you were trying to do, but now you're actively lying to us about it. And the thing is, is that now with, you know, like the, the bold lies and the naked greed, the genie is out of the bottle. So whatever's, you know, they're, they're already trying to do other steps like, you know, oh, this is OGL 1.2. We're releasing it to the public for like feedback. And, you know, they're trying to take baby steps toward their original goal, which is still revoking the OGL and trying to, you know, create a monopoly and, you know, uh, trying to like take control of a lot of different like third party content. And when when you mess up so bad that like so many other third party publishers, Paizo included, are like we're going to band together to create our own game license, like then you really messed up. 
Yeah, I think I remember one thing was uh the rumor. I guess this happened once before and started again was the rumor that they were going to make D and D Beyond like or Beyond D and D D and D Beyond. I always forget which way it is. So uh, Beyond D and D, they were going to make it like thirty dollars to use. Apparently that rumor came again and again. It was like proven false, but a lot of people were just kind of be like, that is something we could see y'all doing, even if you say it's not true. We can see that happening with the way it looks like everything's going right now. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those weird things. Like you said, like take everything with a grain of salt, look into it. Cause I, I follow people like D and D shorts and like a handful of other YouTubers. that have been covering it as well. And D and D shorts actually just released a video. Cause I think a lot of the links were coming from him from contact with Watson employees. And he released a video where it was just, he was showing like, this is all I've gotten from the employees. So what I'm saying is what these employees have been saying. So. Hey, you know, there, there's now, there's, like, a lot of information out there, but, you know, I read the original, like, OGL, like, leak that came out, and, you know, it's just, like, in front of my eyes when you see, like, we're going to take 25% of gross revenue from people who make this much. It's It, it all comes down to that, uh, like, some of the Wizards of the Coast execs were, like, the Dungeon Dragons brand is under-monetized. And, you know, a lot of people were like, but the thing is, is that if you want to monetize more of the Dungeon Dragons IP by attaching the IP to things and also creating more products, that's a great way to monetize the brand more. But when you want to monetize the brand by taking money from third-party publishers who are creating content based off an agreement that was made to be irrevocable, you know, that's not, we're going to create stuff and make money. That's other people are creating stuff and we're going to take their money. Yeah. I think my thing was, I know, I think they were getting like a huge chunk of revenue from beyond D&D from people using that system, which I, I will say is very helpful despite everything. And I know that the majority of money was from Magic the Gathering, the card game, which is what they had been cashing in on. And I've even hearing problems with that now as well with pricing and the cards and all that too. So. I, I can't talk about uh, the Magic uh, Magic the Gathering stuff. I don't really have a, a finger in that uh, community. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. All right, so I'll let you go here in a minute. But one final question, and I know you kind of covered that. Yeah, you all have been on hiatus for a few months now, and I think you said that you guys are going to be start coming back soon. When are, the, are we expecting like some more of our uh, our good mobster crew to start coming back to our listening ears? So within the next few months, unfortunately, um, just the worst string of luck each time we're about to meet, some something else happens with someone. Uh, at one point, Jason was working on a film. Uh, then we were set to shoot. And then, you know, uh, another member of the crew had a family emergency. Then we were set to shoot. And then another member had like an occupational emergency. It just literally every time we set down a date to come together and shoot, something happened. So, we're shooting to record in February and trying to get the episodes out as fast as we can after that. But at this point, we'll see. And that's unfortunately all that I can give for Rolling into Miss News. Yeah, I'm going to be, my next one show I'm going to run is going to be in February for the podcast too. I just kind of want to take January kind of like a time off, edit what couple episodes I have, because I still have one more episode I did of the Demons and Cross End case that I did, which mm-hmm. turned out really good. They played uh, some pre characters. I had Lestrange, I had Declan Lestrange and Talak working together, so that was a fun dynamic to see happen. So I got one more for that, and then I just got a bunch of, then actually the case I'm running in February, I used the City of Mist concept, case concept generator to create it, and it's a 
the party is being hot is being hired by the avatar of Cleopatra to eliminate the corrupt police chief that is the rift of Caesar. All right, that's cool. I like that idea. Yeah, because it did, and I got that because one of the things is like the option was it did, was like what's the case about? It's like corruption in the city, and I'm just like Cleopatra Caesar because Caesar had a lot of corruption, kind of just centered around him and stuff. And I'm like perfect combination. So relationship in history that I think is like fun to play off of. So I'm I'm definitely excited to listen to that. Yeah, so I'm going to that's going to be recorded late February. And hopefully, depending on my work schedule, because I have, like I said, scheduled, so I'm just as busy when it comes to a lot of stuff as well. I'll get mm-hmm. that soon, but <clears throat> do you want to shout out anyone or any plugs before we stop this? Let's do uh, one last plug. If you like listening to my beautiful voice talk about City of Mist, uh, definitely check out the Rolling in the Mist podcast uh, by my group Odd Loot. That's A-W-D Loot, like all-wheel drive. Uh, you can also check out my videos for Son of Oak Game Studios on their games City of Mist and Tokyo Otherscape at the City of Mist YouTube channel. And yeah, that's pretty much all the plugs that I want to hit there. Yeah. You guys have an Instagram too, I think, right? Under the same yeah. name? Yeah. Uh, you can check out also City of Mist. Uh, City of Mists. That's hard to say. You can find the <laughs> socials for City of Mist on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, there is the City of Mist subreddit, and also check out the City of Mist Discord, which you can find a link for that in the description of every City of Mist YouTube video. Uh, that's, I think, definitely our most active communities on the City of Mist Discord channel. You can find a lot of people to talk to about like City of Mist and the upcoming Tokyo Otherscape. And honestly, I'm really excited to be a part of that community. Yeah, it was great having you here today. Like I said, you've been one. You're rolling in the mist has been one of my big inspirations for what got me into doing this now. And so I put you up there alongside Brendan Mulligan when it comes to like game masters have inspired me for doing this and a couple others. But definitely you and Brendan were like my two inspirations. So I can't thank you enough for just the the stories that you bring to this community. Thank you so much for those really kind words. That means a lot to me. <laughs> Yeah, and of course you can find me on Mysteries Unknown. I am on Instagram, uh, Miss Dunk Podcast, M I S T U N K Podcast. I'm actually going to be working on a YouTube channel. I'm trying to re-upload my stuff on there because that's apparently a lot of podcasters are trying to upload their stuff on there now. But you can also find both Rolling in the Mist and Mysteries Unknown on Spotify, uh, Google Podcast, I believe as well, as well as a few others. I recently updated mine, so it's like I'm also on Pandora, TuneIn, uh, Samsung Podcast, the works. So just type in the name somewhere and I'm sure you're able to find it. So thank you again, Kevin Carpenter, for joining me for our first segment of Behind the Mist. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for having me.